Like there were about 300, I'm guessing. And we were all on our knees, just worshipping and beholding God and, and, and receiving from him. Uh, strongholds broken, uh, burdens lightened, people encouraged, and it was wonderful to, to see that. One of the parts of that was there was about 150 people under 30 that were there. And these are the people that are praying, a team leading in their church, and they're praying about what's the next step, and they were getting commissioned. And in actual fact, there was a prophetic word that said that <clears throat> this particular demographic, the Zoomers, the Gen Z, what's that, about um, 14 to 20-something, are the blue flame that God is using. The blue flame in a, in a flame, the blue part is the hottest part. And so Gen Z is the hot button, the demographic that God's got his hand on and he wants to move in them mightily. We've got young people in our congregation here. They're the blue flamers. I think they should change their name. But God has got a, a word for this generation. And so uh, we're looking forward to... Um, I'd like to to be part of taking a group of these blue flame people to a place where they're going to get ignited in their faith and in their uh, ambition for serving in God's kingdom. Uh, the other thing was that there was a great sense of urgency that came through as we talked about the, the stronghold that the devil has in lots of places. He's got a head start on binding people and the church has got to catch up and start seeing freedom come to people. And so um, we've got to use our voices and I'll probably talk a little bit more about that. So Tim's spoken about that uh, 50% off, the way I think of it, even if you had to pay full price, it's not a big biscuit. Yeah, no. <laughs> anyway, um, for me personally, um, I had a lot of trouble trying to get this message together. <laughs> when I told Russ two nights ago that I had a, a blank sheet of paper, <laughs> he could not hide, even though he didn't say it, I could not, he could not hide that. <laughs> he was certainly worried. So um, I realised... The reason why I was struggling, because I had a big problem. And the big problem wasn't outside of me, it was inside of me. Let me illustrate. When David and Goliath came to confront each other, Goliath was the big problem. But the big problem wasn't the size of Goliath, it was the size of the problem inside Israel. And so Israel couldn't move forward. They stayed put. They were frozen in place because they couldn't address the internal problem they had of bringing the glory of God to this. They hadn't sought his solution. But God worked on the side and brought in a lad with five stones and a slingshot. God knew the weakness that Goliath had. And so sometimes when we've got a big problem, we need to ask God, what is the weakness of this problem? I need to know what is the weakness so I can direct and target 
your solution at it. Um, David had five stones. He, he only needed one. But when he threw his first stone, it told his opposition what his strategy was, his head. And if he'd missed, he would have had to keep firing at that same weakness until he scored it. And it was enough to uh, disable Goliath, so as every child loves the story, he was able to run over and chop off his head (laughs) (laughs) with his own sword, with Goliath's sword. So I had a problem. I had to address an internal issue that was in my life. And 2 Timothy 1.7 says, and I didn't uh, tell, where are you, <laughs> Christy, this verse, but it says, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but of power, of love and of self-control. I was having a fear that was inside me about what God needed to do. To, re- to explore that fear, I needed to go into a place of intimacy. Because before the increase comes intimacy. And I needed to find in that intimate place my identity. Intimacy and identity are sort of like a circular thing. You know, you, you pick up one, but you get both. And when you work on one, you work on both. And when God works on one, he works on both. Intimacy and uh, identity. And so I had to come and say, okay, God, I bring you this fear. And I need to take authority over some of the things that are stopping me from moving forward. Before I encourage someone else to have authority on Sunday, I need to know how to take authority in myself. Because you can't take authority outside of yourself if you haven't taken authority inside yourself. And so when we come up, and as we had that prophetic word this morning about breaking bondages, we take authority over the thing that's binding us and stopping us and stagnating us. We ask God to break through in me. And then I'm free to move with authority in power, in love and self-control. Okay, so for me, that was what I got out of this um, time in, in preparation for the, today and for the last week. I think this going to the equip was a great time for me to drop the, the thing on the floor and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm putting the sermon aside. I'm going back to a blank page. I just want to be in your presence and I want to understand what you want to say to me and to this congregation. But there is, there is no. (laughs) Russ has been speaking to us in the last few weeks about the growth of the kingdom of God. And last week he spent time showing us mathematically the increase of the kingdom around the world. And so we get a really great perspective to see that even though it looks like not much is happening in some ways around here, globally, the kingdom of God is advancing and it continues to give us faith. And he's been using the book of Acts and I've been reading the book of Acts because I wanted to see if I could track along with what Russ has been saying. And I realise that God has been releasing after the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
God was releasing the Holy Spirit in more and more across the land and, uh, and, and he was multiplying disciples. So, as I said, something precedes increase. It's the increase of the kingdom of God in me. So we can't, in a way, preach beyond what God is doing inside of us. Ezra 7.10 is a verse that's motivated me for a long time. And it says, For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it, and to teach statutes and ordinances in Israel. You can't teach beyond what you're obeying. It's very, very simple. And so I had to, I'm actually in a place where I'm saying, okay, God, where have I got to obey you? Uh, and then can you increase it from there? Um, if we read Acts, uh, we see that Jesus has uh, become the, the king who has been uh, died, buried, resurrected, and ascends to glory. And it's confirmed that he's the king, the saviour, and that he is the one that all the followers need to give their love and allegiance to. And then the 11 meet together in Acts 1. There's only 11 of them, and they've got to figure out who they are. Are we the 12, or are we now the new 11? Are we a cricket team? Mm, no. But they, they had to figure out their identity, and so they go into this time of intimacy, seeking the Lord. They were commanded by Jesus to stay in Jerusalem until the deposit of the Holy Spirit. And so they had to sit in that place of intimacy and identity until God confirmed what he was doing. Um, and after that, you see an increase of a new level of fellowship between the disciples. They start breaking bread together and they start coming to the apostles for their teaching and they're having communion together. They're going house to house. They're sharing their resources with one another. There's a move of the Holy Spirit that affects how they live from there on. Um, in that slide that Steve put up last week, which... Uh, is called that one. I, I thought it was interesting that um, there is a move of integrity around what happens in Jerusalem. And then God eventually brings visibility, but there's a stage where the church has to go through some credibility things. One of the opposites of that, of course, is Ananias and Sapphira. Is that the... Right name? Yep. Who, with the money thing, uh, they decide to keep some money back for themselves and tell the church that they've kept it. That was a credibility crunch. That was a time where the church had to um, show that it was totally open and honest before God and God made it very clear that he, he wanted that integrity to build to credibility and then the church became visible, um, great fear went throughout the community and the visibility of the church increases. So I'm sharing that again because I think there's some overlap here with what's going to happen here in Launceston. <clears throat> uh, in Acts 1.8, it's a commission that a lot of us are familiar with but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses 
in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And if you follow the book of Acts, you see that the first seven chapters are about the expansion of the gospel inside Jerusalem. Then chapters 8 through 12, you see the expansion of the gospel in Judea and Samaria. And then from chapters 13 to 28, it's to the ends of the world, eventually reaching us. Samaria was a focus because it got added in, all Judea and Samaria. Uh, Samaria, there was something wrong with that place. (laughs) Someone described it. It was an unlikely place for the gospel, but Jesus is particularly saying you've got to go to Samaria. Someone described it as a wasteland of impure half-breeds because, yeah, ouch, because they were a blend of the Jewish people and other invading forces, and so they blended their culture, their religion, their uh, gods, and, um, yeah, um, and, and so Jesus, but Jesus goes there to see the woman of the well. I mean, there's history there, and I can't go into it, because that goes way back to Abraham. Um, but, but Jesus says, go there. Now, I thought, there's a lot of similarities between Samaria and Tasmania. Someone had just already predicted what I was about to say. Let's have a look at some of the things I saw. Tasmania, quite often referred to as inbred, <clears throat> two-headed. It's an orphan state or a state of orphans. It's a drain on the GST system. And other nice words. Uh, in addition to an illiteracy rate of 50%, Tassie has a welfare dependency rate of 33%. You add to that all the agencies and other businesses that are supplying services to the welfare part of the state, and you might find that the government spend is much more like 60%. So there's a lot of money going into the welfare of this state. And in some areas of Tasmania, only 45.5% of people finish year 12 and we have the highest rate of poverty. So, reputational-wise, we're a poor cousin, we're uneducated, we're welfare-dependent, maybe illegitimate, and we are a bit like Samaria. So I looked at Samaria thinking, right, oh God, give me some keys and cues about where we could look and uh, what we could expect. Is there anything that we could learn from having a comparison to Samaria. So if we go to Acts chapter 8, uh, Christy, I want to start with verse 9. Sorry about that. Um, if you've got a Bible, you'll find that there's a section 4 to 8, which I'll come back to, and then there's this section 9 through 11, which talks about a precondition of what's going on in the city. So it says, but there was a certain man named Simon who previously practised sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And, he heed, and they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. So there was a 
prevailing dark arts, sorcery, demonic, uh, occultish area. <clears throat> and um, well, no, no, I don't know, I turned to my notes. Um, it looked dark. But then in ver- if we go back to verse 4 and read from there, therefore those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. So this is the disciples that left Jerusalem because of the persecution that came on the Jerusalem church. And they went. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. And the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralysed and lame were healed. And they were, there was great joy in that city. So what was a precondition was actually a way of opening up the way for the gospel. Sometimes it seems like it's a dark problem or it's a, uh, you know, things are much bigger than we can handle. But God had a plan and he used it and he used the weakness that was exposed. Okay? And then, if we go on, um, that, um, yeah, so we initially you see them receiving the word of God, they preach, um, and the gospel, just in word, has a great impact, including Simon, who becomes a follower. Um, did I read verses 12 and 13? And when they believed, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptised. Then Simon himself also believed, and when he was baptised, he continued with Philip and was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. So there was a great impact. And there are a number of people who have given themselves to, by faith, trying to talk to people in this city and share the gospel with them. They're the front line. I think what might happen is that, the, as it said, the people went out preaching and then Philip, an evangelist, and he's the only evangelist that's actually uh, named in the Bible, then Philip arrives and he comes with not only the word but with miraculous signs and wonders. And I think that if the church is able to preach the gospel, it opens up a great time of harvesting later on when someone with the gift of evangelism comes into town, and we had an evangelist recently, but I just don't think there was enough fruit from it uh, in the um, uh, Billy Graham Association. There was some fruit, but not enough fruit. And I think we need to do uh, a little bit more thinking around how the fruit can increase. So the darkness got displaced by the light. In, chap- uh, in verses 14 to 17, we see an, a, a step up in what was happening. Now, when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had reached the word of, received the word of God, they sent to Peter and John to them, whom, they had come down, whom when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had not fallen upon none of them for he had fallen upon none of them. They had only been baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. 
And they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I think I might start reading down here rather than up there. Because <laughs> so I'm not reading too well. Um, so dark, the darkness was completely displaced. And that's what we want to see in this place. Jesus wants to come and bring freedom. When, as I prayed this morning in the church, when I look out those windows and see the suburbs, Jesus wants to bring freedom. The church, this church and every church in Launceston is not created so we can just have fellowship. It's created so that we can go to the people who are not in this fellowship. We actually have this time to build up our faith, our, our spirit, our, our relationships with one another and give credibility to the gospel. But the visibility has to go out into the suburbs, onto the streets. So I'd encourage you, keep trying to sow into people's lives. Um, the next section of this is, when, is what happens when someone is saved but not surrendered to the full occupation of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that uh, I was actually was going to be my focus, and I've changed, but now I'm bringing it back in. Um, <laughs> Jesus didn't just come to save us, to give us the, the ticket that gives us the arrangement to go to heaven. He came to occupy, not just uh, change our destination, but he came to occupy our lives. Jesus is the evidence of that. Jesus came as a fully occupied servant of God. And the overflow of the Holy Spirit from his life flowed out in love, in miracles, in freedom. His life was amazing. And it didn't take long for his visibility to explode and people began coming to him. So in... Um, uh, uh, there's a chart called Pi. <laughs> Ta-da! Now, forget my, my sketching. I, I scribbled this up and so it's not even neat. But... Uh, well, thank you very much. <laughs> um, a lot of people have trouble accepting Jesus into their life because they think it's just one more thing I've got to add in. Uh, you know, like uh, I've got so many things going on. I've got all my recreation, my sport, my um, family, my career, um, the, the ambitions I have, and I just can't cram Jesus in. I, there's not enough room to put him in. And if he's in, he's only a, si a tiny sliver. But then there's a revelation that Jesus wants to be the centre and so we do, we put him in the centre of all the pieces of the pie and we start referring to him in terms of what should I do in my career, what should I do in my family, what should I do about this and that. But there's another step, and that is that he doesn't want to be just a piece of your pie, he is the pie. He is our lives. We bring all our lives into his dominion. The kingdom of God is on me, is on you. As we heard this morning, Releasing the heart, you know, Jesus out of our lives because the kingdom of God is fully encompassing who we are. Now, in this next part, 
Um, there, sometimes people can have unre, unregenerated parts of their life, little pieces they've kept in the kitchen cupboard. You know that drawer that's got all the junk in it? Third drawer? Mm. You say, I've got a filing cabinet of them. <laughs> Four drawers. Junk. But there's sometimes parts that are unregenerated. And in this example, in Simon's case, let's read about him uh, from verse 18. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, Your money perish with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. Here's an important point in the credibility of the Samaritan church. Samaritan church. They, they've started getting visibility, and now here comes that money thing again. Here comes the purchasing of God's gifts. Here comes the hiding and disclosing. You may have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. One of the things that happened um, and that was very obvious at the equip was um, a session called Deliver um, Freedom, I'll call it Freedom, where people renounced things in their lives because they realised they had a hold on them more than it should or at all. And Simon was poisoned by the bitterness that uh, bitterness, maybe envy of what he was watching, he was the person of all spiritual power in that area and he lost it to Philip. He loved seeing it, but then he thought, oh man, I want that. So there was this envy that rose up and bitterness about where he was and why he didn't have it. The kingdom of God doesn't operate and I think that's the same way as the kingdom of this world. And if you're like me and you came from the wrong side of the tracks and 45k past it, it takes a long time. I'm now 63. It's taken me a long time to figure out some of the stuff about the kingdom of God and what I have to lay down and what I should be picking up. For I see that you're poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity, iniquity being the sin, the generational sins, things that have been passed down to the third and fourth generation. And sometimes we've got to renounce that which our family heritage has been, what has become a family folklore, things that still bind us. Um, so um, my, I've said this before, but my father's number one saying was, look after number one, don't think about anybody else. And so I had to undo that. I mean, what a crazy thing to say. What does it do for anybody except give me pride? And that, that's the other thing. I mean, I'm proud. I admit it. And I struggled to let down pride. And so I spent a lifetime trying to give God the pride that keeps trying to rise every now and then. It's a generational iniquity that I need to lay down. So then Simon said, pray to the Lord for me that none of these things which you have spoken may come to me. There's two endings here. It doesn't go on and say what happened. Either he was asking for a deliverance from these things. He was asking for someone to help him pray through and bring out a freedom that was, should be there, that he was asking for someone else to help him in this prayer area, or 
he doesn't take accountability for it and says, you pray for me. It doesn't work. We've got to take authority over what's inside. And, um, and I, I, I'm not quite sure how this ends. It doesn't say. But you can choose your ending. So the size of a problem shows the God solution that's needed and where it has to target the weakness. There were weak points in Samaria, which is today known as Palestine. Um, it was a blended religion. It suffered prejudice for its blended races. It believed but resisted the Jewish saviour. Now, I've already mentioned this. I've sort of jumped around this sermon. <laughs> so help me where I'll find my place. Goliath weaknesses was his forehead and in, in the same way that's, that David was sent to Israel, Philip was sent. God has sent Philip to Launceston. Right? There have been people that have come into Launceston that have tried to say this is what could happen. They've tried to identify the preconditions to salvation here. And I would suggest, and I'm going to say to you, that we are not hitting the thinking of the city with the gospel. That's the stone that needs to be hitting the giant over this city. The gospel changing the thinking, hitting the thinking. We need to be able to challenge the thinking that's going on around us and bring it into the context of the kingdom of God. Well, yes, you say that. Can I give you maybe another thought? And this is what I understand Jesus said. We're all broken. And that brokenness comes out in lots of different ways. And some people are trying lots of different ways to get out of that brokenness. And those, those attempts seem to be like living at the end of a bungee cord. I keep recoiling back to the same place. I still keep finding my brokenness. I still keep finding the things that were a problem 20 years ago. For some reason, they keep coming back up again. But Jesus has a solution. He came as the king and the bondage breaker and the lover. So let's hit the thinking of this city with the gospel. We can overcome the darkness in this city if we preach and set people free with the gospel. There are people that are doing uh, things out on the street. Uh, Richard's not here. He's out the back. He goes out on a Friday night with another group. There's the people who do um, prayer ministries around the city. Um, I'm looking through the glass windows and I can see my wife back there. I never in all my dreams believed that she would go out and do silence breakers. Why? If I asked Fiona to get up here, by the time she's got to the stage, her cheeks are blushed. She says, don't get me on the stage. I'm frightened of public speaking. There's no way I'm going to go out and talk to someone on the streets. And she's there. One of the, things, one of the great things I love about silence breakers and Sorry that you guys uh, didn't do the first course. You'll have to pick it up the next course. Sucked in, basically. 
We learn a new skill every week. We learn a new aspect of how to share the gospel, some tool or some way of being able to create a conversation or create a way to um, present the truth about Jesus. We've got a different one today. We're doing something different every week. So it's a great video course. We do it for an hour while people eat some of my home-cooked soup. No one's been sick yet. And there's always ginger in it. And today I'm trying to put coriander in. <laughs> I know, some people don't like it. It tastes like soap. Yeah. Anyway, back to food. Um, so, um, yes, we're going out. Oh, yes, we do an hour's video course. Then we actually leave and go out on the street and go out in pairs and we go and see. And we walk past someone on a, oh, how's your leg? What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Can we pray for it? We'd like to pray and ask, you know. Or, oh, we're doing a course. Excuse me, we're doing a course. This might seem a bit awkward and uh, embarrassing, but we're doing a course on the supernatural. And we just saw that um, uh, you're in a wheelchair, like Fiona and uh, Julie did the other week. Would you mind if we had a go at trying to pray for you? We'd love to see the supernatural come. We're not sure if it'll work, but we just want to see if we can have a turn. We're just using excuses but we're stepping out. Uh, Julie's probably not so much using excuses. She's much more direct. <laughs> I went out with her last week and she just saw two ladies sitting down having a talk and the next thing she was there with them. G'day. <laughs> How are you going? And she was straight in. And so different personalities do it in different ways. But the thing is we're actually trying to hit the city with new thinking about the gospel. And I think that's what we need in this place. Uh, hmm. Okay, maybe I'll get the musicians back. While they're coming, I just want to iterate. Increase in the kingdom of God is on the other side of your obedience. All right? The increase in the kingdom of God doesn't occur if we are just slack. It's on the other side of the obedience that Jesus is asking you. Increase is on the other side of intimacy. The place where we come aside before obedience and we come into the presence of Jesus and we fall in love with him more and more and more. Is that possible? Yes, it is. Intimacy and identity then increase. If the problem out there looks big, it's because it's a big problem inside of us. The problem is showing our fruit. I recognised I had some fruit in my life that wasn't right. So I needed to come back to God and say, God, I need to deal with the fruit from a cause that's in my life. God wants to occupy our hearts, not just give it a, a ticket to ride. He occupies and then he multiplies, not the other way around. He doesn't multiply, then occupy. He occupies us, then he multiplies us. And our worship today was where he occupied it. And I think he multiplies something out of that. The fruit of the Holy Spirit is in his manifestations, 
not the way we try to do it. Jesus was fully occupied by the Holy Spirit. I want us to come back to a time of worship. I've been thinking about Revelation 3.20, a verse that many of us may have come across when we were new Christians. Jesus says to Christians, not to non-Christians, to Christians in Revelation, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. There's that meal, fellowship, relationship, intimacy time. But we have to hear his voice. I think one of the things that I've observed is that people who just think they can come in for the teaching at church are getting the raw end of the pineapple. You actually, not very nice. There are so many messages that we're hearing every day and every week. If we come to church for 30 minutes out of the 168 hours in a week, we're hearing 0.003, the Word of God. If that's all we do, if we come to church and just listen to the Word of God, if we come to listen to worship, we actually start to hear the voice of God. It's the place where we learn to distinguish the voice of God as distinct from the voice of the world. God speaks. He speaks through His Word and He speaks through worship. We need to come into both, worship and, and the Word. So I encourage you, come with open hearts into worship. And that's what we're going to do now. And Jesus says, here I am. The great I am is here. Here I am. If anyone hears my voice, I'm here. Why don't you stand? Mm-hmm.